listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. I'm so glad that you can join us again for this episode of Let the Bible Speak. Today we're going to share a special broadcast regarding the subject of Christian ethics. But before we do this, let's take some time to listen to Mr. Stephen Greer as he sings the beautiful hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. That was an encouragement to your soul. What a blessing it is to think about God's grace. It is God's grace that saves us and keeps us. And it is by God's grace we live in a manner that pleases him in this world. The coronavirus pandemic has caused many difficulties, of course, for so many of us. But the use of technology has opened doors of opportunity. Just last weekend, I had the privilege of speaking to a group of young people via Zoom. In that meeting, we had people from Mexico, from East and West Canada, as well as some from the United States. And indeed, one young lady who was able to join us from the Philippines. 
I'd like to share the message I brought to those young people at this point in our broadcast. It is a very relevant subject. We are living in days of great confusion and knowing why we behave as we behave is very important for all of us. So as we come to the Word of God, let me pray and ask for God's blessing upon His Word today. Eternal God and our Father in Heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to bring your Word to reflect upon the standards of Christian living as it is revealed in your Word. Let me pray, O Lord, that this will be a blessing to everybody listening. Give us ears to hear and a will to do the very will of God. And so encourage us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. First John 2, and the Word of God says in verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. So my desire tonight is to talk to you just for a few moments on the subject of Christian ethics, Christian ethics. As I think of you in the context you find yourselves in, no matter what part of the world you're in today, you are standing at really the, the brink of perhaps the most difficult time to be a Christian, certainly in, in recent generations. The Christian ethic is becoming so unpopular that you are going to have to really take a stand for what is right in the days to come. There are so many areas of life in which the Christian ethic is being contested uh, that you will find yourself, uh, apart from God's grace and revival, you will find yourself more and more likely in the minority. And so you need to be able to define and understand what you believe. What do I mean by a Christian ethic? Well, the word ethic speaks of a principle of conduct. It's not describing what you do. It's describing the foundation of that as to why you do what you do. This idea of a, a foundational principle that would govern your actions, govern your lives, govern what you say, how you think, and how you live in a fallen world. And undoubtedly today, there is great confusion regarding the matter of ethical standards and principles. What is right and what is wrong? How do you defend abortion, euthanasia? How do you defend the sexual revolution? How do you defend rampant materialism? How do you defend all manner of confusion regarding health care? How do you know what's right, what's wrong? How do you deal with a pandemic? How do you deal with all of these things? And so many people are all at sea because they haven't, they haven't this established ethical foundation. And so that's my burden to, just for again, a short time tonight, to give you some context, but do so by way of, of devotion. There are various schemes that would govern people's ethics today. There are many who hold to what might be termed a situational ethic. Uh, that goes back to the 1960s. Situational ethics really has the idea of deciding what is the most loving act to do at a particular time. How do you act at a certain time in a, in a given situation? And one of the chief proponents of this in the 60s was saying, well, 
you decide what is the most loving act. What act is the most loving at a particular time? And therefore, you've all manner of different conclusions. Uh, of course, you will find that ethical standard falling astray when you have perhaps a young man with a young lady and the young man looks in the, the young lady's eyes and says, if you love me, you would let me do this or that or the other thing. That's situational ethics gone astray. Arguing that a loving act is, is this or that, but there is, of course, no ethical foundation of rightness or wrongness. Others, more broadly, think what we might term a utilitarian ethic. What's the greatest good for the greatest number of people? And their definition is not so much loving, but it is, it is good. You find this in healthcare, back in the UK, you'll find this kind of ethical standard in, in healthcare where somebody will say, well, it's, it's better to spend uh, this amount of money to help uh, a million children rather than spend the same money to provide cancer care for two people. And so they will make a decision regarding health care based upon a utilitarian standard, the greatest good for the greatest number, better to help lots of children than it is to treat maybe a couple of old people with, with terminal cancer. And so some of those decisions are made, and I'm just... I'm not actually discussing uh, at this point really the rightness or wrongness, but just letting you be aware that some of these things are the foundations of, of decision making. But what you're encountering today, uh, again, in a way that I didn't even when I was your age, uh, not that many years ago, is this concept of a, a relative ethic. That really ethics are down to the personal preference, or in some cases to the will of the majority. And so if most people think something is moral or right, well, then that's the principle of ethic. Or if I think it's right, then it's right for me, though it may be wrong for you. And so you get confusion regarding actions. An action can be both immoral and moral at the same time for two different people. And of course, that's the argument behind so much of the sexual revolution. that You may choose an action to be immoral, but for me it's not immoral, therefore my ethic is, is admissible. And so in such confusion, and that's just a few examples of, of where we stand today, in such confusion, how do we understand the Christian ethic? What is an ethic that is distinctively Christian in its, in its foundation? Well, to help us, help us along with that, I want to look at verse number 6 of 1 John chapter 2. As we think about this Christian ethic, you've got there in verse 6, He that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Uh, the he that's walking there is, I believe, in the context referring back to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is the propitiation for our sins. He's the advocate with the Father. He is the one who has given his commandments, verse number four. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. Uh, the sense of, of Christ involved here. Um, we're, getting a, uh, we're getting an insight into the Christian ethic in this verse. First of all, note, note the picture that is used here, the picture that is used of Christian ethics. The word ethic itself, I should have said, is derived from a Greek word that we do have in, in our New Testament. It's used in 1 Corinthians 15, sorry, verse number 33. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And the word manners there is the word that we get the word ethics from. Uh, the idea of manners, not, not please and thank you and, uh, uh, you know, all being very polite and all the rest. But this idea of, of life conduct. 
And uh, you'll understand that peer pressure is tremendously influential on your ethic, on your manners, on your conduct. And evil communications will have a detrimental effect upon good ethics, good manners. But that's, that's the word that's used there. A similar idea is used in the authorised version with the word conversation. Not how we speak, but a manner of living. Your conversation is, your, is really the outworking of your ethics. Your ethics are your, your principles. Your conversation is how those ethics work out in your life. So you think of like First Peter chapter 2, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Now, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works. So your good works are the description of your conversation. Uh, it's, a, it's really a description of ethics and practice. The old word conversation. Here in First John 2, though, the picture that is used is the term walk. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, walk. And this is describing conduct. It's describing conduct because back in verse number four, you see a parallel reference. He that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments. So walking and keeping the commandments are used synonymously here in this second chapter of First John. Walk. It's a very fitting metaphor, a very fitting picture for Christian ethics. It is something that is a daily experience. You don't stop walking, you walk every day. It describes someone going forward, not static, not sitting, not standing, but rather moving forward. It also describes someone who's in contact with the world, walking. I don't know if you ever watched the, the old, uh, not the old Olympics, but the Olympic Games and the walking races. Um, one of the rules for the walking races, you've got to have your feet in contact with the ground at all times. Unlike running, where your feet may be off contact with the ground. And so in the Christian walk, you have this idea of being in contact with the world in a particular path. Again, to use that uh, Olympic picture, this idea of walking within your lane. Well, the lane is the word of God. That's the parameters that are there. But the walking metaphor is used. Uh, if I can put it very simply, we walk on this world, in this world, and out of this world. Well, that's what it is to be a Christian in, in the world. And so the picture of our Christian ethic is going to govern how we live. We, we understand that we, we're not floating above the world. Some Christians would like that. And some, some religious sects uh, have sought to practice that. If you want to have a, a true spiritual life, go and live on top of a pillar. Look up the pillar people. Uh, they lived up on top of a pillar away from the world. Uh, of course, uh, the monastic orders have sought to get out of the world and often find themselves up in mountains. The, the picture of trying to get out of the world. We understand we're walking on the world, we're walking in the world, and without ever being off the world, we're not to be transformed, we're not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so it is a very fitting picture of Christian ethics. Uh, the solution to the world around us is, of course, the grace of God, changing people's minds, changing people's hearts. But in the meantime, we find ourselves in contact with this world. But our walk must be different. Our walk has to be distinctly Christian. And so that's the picture of Christian ethics is used here. In the second place, so note the pattern of Christian ethics. 
There's a pattern given to us here. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk. And here's the pattern. Even as he walked. Even as he walked. There's all sort of confusion regarding what it is to have a Christian ethic in respect to following Christ's pattern. What is it to walk as Christ walked? There are things that we experience in this world that we're not explicitly told that Christ experienced in his world. But there are patterns that we see in Christ's life. Fundamentally, Christ Jesus as the God-man walking on this world, in this world, but yet out of this world, walked in submission to the will of his Father. That's the fundamental precept or the principle of Christ's walking. He walked in voluntary submission to the will of his Father. Now, there's mysteries in this in terms of the person of Christ. He is the eternal Son of God, co-equal with the Father. And yet, in incarnation, he took to himself a true human nature. And in his human nature, he submits himself to do the Father's will. John 5 tells us that. I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. And so, what is the will of the Father for Christ? Well, it is the commandments of God. Christ fulfills all righteousness. He obeys the law of God perfectly. So Christ walked on this world in perfect conformity to the Scriptures, to the Word of God. And so if we're going to walk as Christ walked, well then we're going to walk according to the Scriptures. You see, turn back please to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. You see, as we think about this matter of Christian ethics, I've, I've said to you about all manner of confusion in the world. They have, again, particular standards. You know, the situational ethicist, they're looking for the most loving act. But how do you define what is loving? What, what's, what's your criteria for determining this act is more loving than another act? Or if it is the utilitarian view, who's defining what is truly good? What's the greatest good? How do you define what is good in that context? Or even the, the relativist, where they say personal opinion is right. Well, again, that lack of absolute standard, what makes your standard right and mine wrong or vice versa? And so this confusion, there is a lack of an absolute ethical standard. And so unashamedly as a Christian, we say, no, we do have an ethical standard. And it is given to us by our Creator. That the one who made this world and set this world in motion is the one who only has the understanding of what it is to live in this world for his glory and for man's good. You see, people get, they get so confused. And it was interesting to hear Eunice saying that the Christian life she didn't find to be liberating. And they've lost sight of the fact, and I understand her experience, they've lost sight of the fact that to live within God's law is the most liberating experience. Because you're not in bondage to the opinions of man or in bondage to sin, but you're gladly and happily free to be who you're created to be as an image bearer of God. And so this standard, this Bible standard, Christ's standard of ethic, is what's given to us here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. You know the verse very well. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now the reference to the man of God in 2 Timothy is more than likely a reference to the Christian pastor. 
So the pastor is sufficient to instruct in teaching, to reprove, to correct, and to instruct in righteousness. But the pastor's sufficiency is not in himself, it's in the Word of God. It is the Scriptures that make the man of God truly equipped or furnished to do all the functions of gospel ministry. In other words, to give the people of God all that they need to know to walk uprightly in this world, walking on this world, in this world, and yet out of this world on the way to glory. The Bible is sufficient. And so when we come to think about our ethical standard, what we must ask is, what saith the Scriptures? What does the Word of God say about a particular situation? And now sometimes we have to be careful. We've got to study carefully. There may not be a proof text for a certain particular situation that we find ourselves in, but there are principles that will indeed govern our actions. And so we don't need to be all at sea, wondering where we're standing and what we're going to do next. We have very clearly defined principles in the Word of God. Even the very definition of what it is to love your neighbor is defined in the Word of God. In the second table of the Ten Commandments, it is to submit to authority. It is to respect life and preserve the sanctity of life. It is to respect personal property. It is to be content with those things you have. It is to be truthful, marked by integrity. It is to preserve sexual purity for the marriage bed. Those are the principles of what it is to love your neighbor as defined by God. Not defined by someone else, but by defined by our Creator God. Consistently taught in all the Word of God. That's how Christ walked. And so when you see this pattern of Christian ethic, don't allow some liberal, woolly-headed Christian to say, well, if Christ was here, he would have loved all these people, he would have done this or that or the other thing. Christ walked according to the Word of God. We know how Christ would have responded in certain situations. Because he walked in submission to his Father. That's the pattern of Christian ethics. We are to walk as Christ walked. But thirdly, very quickly as we close, there is the power here, the power of Christian ethics. Do you have power here? What's the, what's the power of Christian ethics? Well, it's in verse number six again. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Now this text is greatly misunderstood. Oftentimes, it is taught in a way that says, if you profess to be a Christian, then you ought to live like Jesus. And the oughtness has the sense of being used as a compulsion and as a drive uh, to, to guilt you into, well, you're not living like Christians. You're not living like Christ. Now, there's truth in that. But I suggest to you it's not what the text means. I think what the text is saying to you is, those who say they abide in Christ will, by the power of Christ, walk as he walked. And so what John is doing in 1 John is he's exposing the hypocrites. So you have that in verse number 6. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar. Their words say one thing, but their life says something else. And so there's hypocrisy here. And he's saying also the same thing in verse number 6. He that saith he abideth in Christ. Well then, that should be shown in the life that he lives. 
Because to abide in Christ is to have all the power of Christ at your disposal to do what is right and flee what is wrong. Now, John was no perfectionist. John did not believe in sin as perfection. Well, I deliberately read back into verse number, or back to verse number one of chapter two. My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not, and if any man sin. So he's not suggesting perfectionism. But at the same point, he understood that when someone comes to know God, someone comes to abide in God and to abide in Christ, then such is the part of God in their lives that they walk as Christ walked. You see, you will not be a good Christian because you decide to do so. You will not be a good Christian living a Christian ethic because you wake up some morning and think, I don't like this utilitarian stuff. I'm going to try Christian ethics for a time. The only way we can live for Christ is by the power of Christ living in us. And you've got to get that in your mind as clearly as possible. The only way you're going to consistently live out a Christian ethic is because Christ lives in you. He's the vine. We are the branches. It's only in a connection with Christ our vine, John 15, that we will ever, ever bear fruit. So yes, there's a challenge in that. The challenge is that if you want to please God, you've got to be in Christ. You've got to confess your sins, flee from your sins, cling hold, lay hold upon Christ by faith. Yes, there's a challenge there. But what a comfort there is. You don't need to panic about the next 20 years. You don't need to get, get so stressed and say, how am I going to stand in such evil days? You'll stand in the power of God. You'll stand because of the power of Christ in you. That's how you'll stand. Because the Bible says that we're kept by the power of God through faith. And so that's the, the power for the Christian ethic. And so be encouraged. Be encouraged, young person. Do not fear what the world may look like in 10 years' time. I, 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 am, I am blown away in the change in the last 10, 15 years. And so don't be alarmed about what might happen in the next 10, 15 years. You'll, you'll still be able, by God's grace, to stand firm upon your convictions. If you abide in Christ... If he lives in you and you live in him, then you've the power of God at your disposal to keep on living for Christ Jesus. And so we are living, I say, at a, at a very crucial time in human history. And there's going to be a lot of decisions to be made going forward. Make sure your decisions are based upon the word of God. And make sure you live out those decisions, leaning upon the power of Christ day by day. And praise God. He loves Zone and he loves them unto the end, and we are kept in his glorious power. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.